Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics that's affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning and welcome to Military Network Radio. We're so glad that you have joined us this morning. We're going to be talking about a very interesting topic that will affect each and every one of us in one way or another, or already has. And that's about insights into dementia and Alzheimer's. And I am joined today by Justin Constantine. Good morning, Justin. Hey, good morning, Linda. How are you today? I am well, thank you. And and I think this topic is a tough one, but a very real one to so many of our vets, their families, and even extended families. Yeah, you're right. It is. Um, like, like with some other issues we've talked about, this is an issue that isn't widely discussed. It's, uh, <clears throat> my impression is that it, the folks who deal with it are dealing with it often by themselves without a lot of support. So I'm glad for the opportunity to bring this to light today. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, in preparation for the show, you know, we learned some interesting facts. Yeah. I mean, there, there are over 500,000 current veterans suffering from dementia. It's not always just age-related. And there are over 5 million with one form in the nation, not veterans alone, but everyone, with 16 million caregivers providing unpaid care in 99% of the cases. Yeah, those are some incredible numbers. I mean, just think about 16 million caregivers, especially because that's unpaid care. But that's that's a significant portion of our of our population. Mm -hmm. So this really does, it's not just a pocket environment. This is affecting... 5% of our country or something along those lines. Right. And and I think there's often confusion about what is dementia. And today we'll learn a lot about the distinction between just having a senior moment and some of the signs of early Alzheimer's or early dementia. But I found two stats that were alarming to me. And that's why this program is very important for even our younger vets and their families. Did you know that vets with brain trauma are 60% more likely to develop Alzheimer's or dementia, and those with PTSD twice as likely. Wow. Uh, no, I did not know that, but that's um, that's a sobering thought because we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, post-9-11 service members with post-traumatic stress and or traumatic brain injury. Absolutely, and I, I found that to be very disturbing myself. So how... We learn about families interacting and how it affects the veteran families. All of that will be extremely important. Yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, frankly, I hadn't thought about dementia um, as a particular issue or an issue related just to veterans. Obviously, it's part of a larger picture, but I, I, hadn't, I, hadn't, put together, I hadn't connected the dots on post-traumatic stress and TBI and dementia and maybe some other factors as well. So mm-hmm. imagine if I wasn't thinking about it, other vets weren't either. And so I think this would be very enlightening for veterans and military spouses and military families and caregivers. Absolutely. And and we're not meaning to be alarmist, but we'll no. hear from our guest today 
how important early diagnosis and knowledge is. So the way I look at it, we are preparing all of us for what may come in the future. And it just is a better feeling when you're prepared. It's just like being trained up before you're deployed. It's a preparation that allows you to deal with things in a a more linear manner per se. So I would love to introduce Susanna Hemingway. She's a licensed clinical social worker and Susanna has worked with many veteran families as well as civilians. And we're going to learn an awful lot about dementia today and the treatment options, and also now the widespread support for families that people may not be aware of. Susanna, I'd love to welcome you to Military Network Radio. Thank you, very good morning from Denver here. Thank you for getting up very early this morning. (laughs) I'm not sure I could be as cogent at that hour, but I'm delighted to have you here. You know, you were talking to me before the show that your granny had dementia, and that was one of the great drivers for you to become motivated to learn more about this field. Can we talk a little bit about what is dementia, and what does the term mean, and and how does that affect people? What do you see? Sure, that's going to be a long answer, but... (laughs) Um, dementia in general, we have a while. Um, dementia, it's a general term for an overall deterioration in things. It's not a specific disease itself, an, an umbrella term, but what it means is that folks are experiencing a decreased ability to communicate, to reason, to focus. Uh, it affects planning and judgment the senses, and of course, memory. Um, that's, that's the main thing that we all think of, but it really impacts things globally for that individual. Um, it can lead to all kinds of changes, so um, not sure what direction to go, but lots of changes with behavior and mood and personality. Um, and also that there are many different types of, quote, dementia, or the shift is now um, being referred to as a neurocognitive disorder. Hmm. But the two main, the most common are Alzheimer's type dementia that accounts for maybe 60 to 80% of the diagnoses. And then second most common is vascular dementia. So Suzanne, before we get too far into this, uh, you wanna talk about some signs to look for, but how does this relate to veterans in particular? Well, it it relates to everybody. And Linda, I really like what you said at the beginning that it can touch any and all of us in some kind of way. Uh, whether you're the person who is diagnosed with this condition or you're a caregiver or it's a friend or a na- neighbor or some other family member. Sure. So, yeah. It, it, it doesn't affects. actually differentiate, it seems, for veterans. It's just if you end up with a diagnosis, but I think those stats I mentioned at the beginning yes, do yes. have you a little more aware of it, perhaps, Justin, as yeah, you go forward. Sense. So, so yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So I understand that. Uh, so, so, Suzanne, in identifying dementia, what are some general signs to look for? Sure. They talk about, um, and they, <laughs> being... <laughs> you know, the Alzheimer's Association and, and numerous other agencies and organizations. But, and we'll, we'll talk, I would think too, about there are some kind of general warning signs, but to be careful, 
to not confuse that or interpret that as a, you know, more of a just kind of normal age related change. But um, of course, memory loss, but memory loss. So in all of these things, really, we're talking about a change. So like me, for example, not ironically, I've never had a fantastic memory. So if <laughs> that continues, that's not a change. But if it if your memory starts changing, especially forgetting things you've recently learned, asking the same questions kind of over and over. Um, another sign is there are changes in your ability or your loved one's ability to plan, to, to solve problems, to what we call executive functioning, that they maybe they can't follow something that's familiar to them and, and suddenly they can no longer do that. Um, getting confused certainly with time and place. Sometimes folks will, a place that they've driven to for many years, they, they might get a little turned around or even lost. Um, changes in, in sensory ability. So communication certainly, but even vision and hearing, um, speaking and writing. Uh, you, of, of, and we all have those times where, oh, shoot, what's that word? What's that person's name? Right. And that, that happens. Sometimes that happens to all of us. But if it starts happening more frequently, or if you, a uh, big example that we use in the business a lot is um, if you start putting things in unusual places, like you put your car keys in the refrigerator or you put you know, food out in the garage that doesn't belong there, things like that. Right. You know, I, that commercial, there is a commercial right now where the keys are in the garage and it's an Alzheimer's Association commercial. And it's oh. very, it's very moving um, mm. because you know that this is, is a very real, obviously these commercials were developed by people who knew the disorder. And so I think that's what your point is very interesting, though, that you're looking for changes in functioning. So right. I once heard that driving someplace is enormous executive functioning to pick the right route or if there's traffic, you detour to another route, etc. So is is that one that you really are on the lookout for or there it really isn't a particular change? It's just any change. Well, and I would say that, so again, not to be alarmist, you know, if something happens once or twice, but just to make sure that it gets on somebody's radar, you know, okay, so that thing happened once, maybe that was just a one-off, but mm -hmm. let's just pay attention. Let's pay attention to this and see, you know, is this going to be a new trend or was this just sort of an anomaly? You know, that, that's a very important point because we have just about a minute left. Could you a description of the early, middle, and late cognitive changes that you're talking about, just so that we have a general idea as we then go into some detail after the first commercial break? Okay. And there are a number of different ways of staging. Um, some talk about seven stages. I like to keep it more simple and just basically refer to early, middle, and late stages, but early, the things that we've been talking about, some of these early signs, and that the person is aware at this point of the changes, and they can be really good at covering things up, maybe not intentionally, um, but they, they, they can cover things up, and, and it can be difficult for us to recognize it. Um, those sensory changes, 
middle stages, things are definitely more obvious. They're more repetitive, asking more questions. They can become much more anxious, uh, maybe more irritable, and it affects their ability to, to do what we call ADLs, activities of daily living, uh, dressing, bathing, eating, transferring. Susanna, uh, they may with we're mm-hmm. going to have to take our break, so I don't want you to cut okay. off too soon. So we're coming okay. back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we will be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Sacred Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velocity is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom in ingenuity and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Well, the U.S. sure has experienced torrential thunderstorms, lightning, and flooding recently. Thunderstorms, otherwise known as cockeyed bobs, can be pretty scary. What's the fear of thunder and lightning called? Astrophobia. Years ago, Roy Sullivan, a Virginia Park Ranger, was struck by lightning seven different times and lived to tell about it. Lightning struck his head through his hat, set his hair on fire, and burned his eyebrows off. The current from the lightning traveled through both legs and blew his shoes off. The final lightning bolt hit him while fishing, and he was hospitalized for chest and stomach burns. Believe it or not, Roy Sullivan managed to recover from seven lightning strikes, but later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound as a result of loneliness, otherwise known as azagophrenia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're talking with Susanna Hemingway today about Alzheimer's and dementia. And before the break, we were talking about early and we got into middle stage symptoms, but we didn't have time to get into the late. So can you bridge us from the middle symptoms and whether someone is cognizant of those symptoms and then move us into the late stage so we have a greater umbrella understanding of the neurocognitive changes? 
Sure. And also, I'd like to point out that these stages, people can sort of drift back and forth between them and there can be overlap. So mm -hmm. it's certainly not a, a black and white progression. But so left off with middle, one of the big things is withdrawal. People will tend to withdraw even in the early stages, but middle, that's a big indicator. And then late, of course, the individual is highly impaired uh, communication, all those other issues I mentioned, reasoning, concentration, planning. At this point, they most likely would need a higher level of care. So whether that would mean living in a care community, a nursing home, or assisted living, or having a lot of extra help in the home. And at this point, generally speaking, they're not aware, but there are always those moments and dementia will always keep us guessing. Mm. Well, as far as that's concerned, Susanna, what are some, it sounds like it might be confusing us to identify if someone has dementia or not. Are there mm. other, are there other um, conditions that could kind of mimic dementia and make it confusing? Absolutely. And so I advocate strongly for the importance of early diagnosis and also for folks who are 65 years old and above to please see a geriatrician as they are well versed in all those conditions for older folks or they should be. Um, so some things are reversible. They look like dementia, kind of mimic it, but are not. A very common one is a UTI or a urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. um, and that can change behavior and quickly. So if somebody, poof, all of a sudden takes this really big nosedive, it, some of these ways we've talked about their behavior, get them into a doctor as soon as possible. It can be due to medication. It can be due to a thyroid or numerous other medical conditions. You know, that, that has happened, uh, you know, to people that I know, and it, it is very abrupt. But as you yeah. say, it is reversible when put on the proper medication. And, and I think we have to also remember that older people don't always hydrate as well. And right. that's, that's important to avoid the UTI because you, you don't want that confusing thing. So as you're looking at an early diagnosis, and is that first doctor's appointment the most difficult because you think something is wrong and you go in and do you really want to know or not know? Mm. I know that there can be some ambivalence or denial about, no, no, I'm just getting older. Or family members can deny it. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, how do you get beyond that? Or what are some helpful hints to support people as they do approach that first doctor's appointment in order to, to see if there's a diagnosis or a need for medication? Sure. Well, and these are some of those really difficult conversations that we get to have in life that are really scary and maybe frustrating and there's there's a lot of emotion so it's important to to try to get information and to communicate with each other when things are calm and when there's not, not some kind of a crisis situation and even naming things for what they are hey i know this could be scary or I am here to support you no matter what, or you know, kind of think of how you would want to be treated and how you'd want someone to talk to you, because um, there, there can be changes in that relationship. So getting information and making a list. I always recommend that folks, even for me, for anybody with or without dementia, but 
if you suspect that, make a list of questions that you want to ask because once you get in there, you know, things just kind of fly out the window and you don't get the time maybe that you want and information uh, is definitely power. Well, Suzanne, that makes sense that once you have your appointment, uh, you should go in there armed with your questions so you leave there um, feeling good uh, that you have a, a good basis of knowledge. And, and I know in my recovery, after being injured in Iraq, that was, that was a frustrating part of sometimes leaving the doctor's appointments, not feeling like I had learned anything there. But outside of the doctor's appointments, are there um, places you recommend folks to go to for support and education on this? Sure. And as I mentioned before, the, the Alzheimer's Association is a huge, mm-hmm. huge resource. And whether you do it online or what, they have a 24-7 helpline, literally weekends, holidays open all the time that you can call and just ask questions. And you'll, you'll get a person on the phone that you can just talk to and get information. They can send you resources. Um, certainly my uh, practice. I I don't know that I should plug that right here, but that's what I do is. um, So one big thing for people can be, well, just the education and the, and the resources. So folks like me, um, but also an important thing for both caregivers and anybody diagnosed is you are likely going to have a lot of feelings about this that you need to process and feel supported. So um, that's another thing that I do is therapy with folks. I'm a I'm a therapist. I'm a counselor. So that kind of support. Um, I really advocate for folks doing what they call estate planning, but, you know, legal planning to have things in place. Again, not Mm -hmm. to be alarmist, but to be prepared. It's so important to do these things again when things are calm and things are okay. And once you inject a lot of emotion and fear and all of that into things, it's so much harder to do anything. I think it's uh, I think it's a hard topic because anything that's related to um, injury or just changing the norm or or mm-hmm. even like preparing a will like th- those mm-hmm. are hard conversations to have with folks. Even yes. obviously you care and love about them, but it can be hard to because then they have to address that life is finite and life is always changing. Absolutely. You're you're right. And, you know, the interesting part about this is that with early diagnosis and care, I imagine insurance companies deal with things very differently. So you're not only faced with changing cognitive abilities and those raise concerns, but you're also trying to figure out for the future and your Mm -hmm. independence. I, I know that another thing that I've noticed is that it was something you mentioned earlier, Susanna, about hiding it. Um, faking it, um, withdrawing so that nobody notices that you didn't follow that conversation. Um, I think those sorts of things, you can get by for quite a long time before anyone notices that. And and that's where you almost see the withdrawal getting faster. Because if I don't open my mouth and say that I missed something or it's not obvious that I missed it, then maybe no one will notice. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. I've, I've I've been working with, with older adults and some maybe not so older <laughs> that have some kind of cognitive impairment for years. And even 
with us professionals in the field, trained with experience, you can, you know, administer some sort of a cognitive screening tool and, and people can score surprisingly high on things like that, that you know this individual and you know that they've got some challenges, but how on earth did they score so high on that? So even sometimes things that have been tested can, that's what I say that dementia is, I'm fascinated by it. I, I, I do think it is, it is a terrible thing, but there are a lot of resources and there's a lot of hope. And I wanna make sure to make the point that people know dementia, it's not a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And it, is not, it has nothing to do with intelligence. I've had so many clients say, oh, I'm dumb, I'm stupid. And boy, do I respectfully disagree with them there. Absolutely nothing to do with mental health or intelligence. I just want to get that in there. No, that's a critical piece to get in there. And, and I'm just mm-hmm. wondering, Justin, you can respond on this. We are now giving uh, those being deployed baseline uh, brain scans for TBIs. I wonder if those will end up being helpful in the future. Well, what, I don't, um, my, my belief is uh, as far as these baselines go, yes. So that's a good idea because that way you always can come back to them and see how someone's changed during the appointment. But Suzanne, I want to pick back up. We have a couple minutes left. And so I just wanted to, you say it's not a mental, dementia is not a mental health issue. Can you explain that? Because instinctively, I would think it is. Okay. Absolutely. So while it is in this, um, those of us clinicians that work in, you know, counseling therapy, we use this uh, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Okay, so we use that um, for diagnosis. And also, I'd like to point out, only a medical doctor can diagnose somebody with dementia. I can't, even though I've worked with it for over 10 years. I may recognize signs and symptoms and have my suspicions, but only a doctor can diagnose it. That's important to know too. Um, But although neurocognitive disorders, as they're calling it now, or dementia is in that DSM, dementia, it's a medical condition. It's an organic brain Mm -hmm. disease, um, which you could call some other things that too, but it's absolutely not mental health. It may impact your mental health for sure. Folks certainly do become, if not clinically depressed, sad. They're losing independence. They're, things yeah. are changing. And so the two can go hand in hand, but um, like dementia is not depression or something like that. I've always heard it described as that dementia is organic brain changes. Mm-hmm. And so that it is a physical, organic change to the brain that causes the symptoms to change, which actually logically makes sense, just as a traumatic brain injury would change behavior, mood, and, and some sorts of uh, symptoms that we're talking about. Uh, we have a break coming up, and so I'm going to tell you the question in advance. We're going to talk about how anxiety can exacerbate things, and we'll be right back after we're this Military break. Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. 
Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. some tips from the popular UK internet site BuzzFeed to help make your life a little more fun. Next time you catch a cold, try adding a touch of magic by holding a handful of glitter in front of your mouth just before you sneeze. By the way, here's a word coined by a Canadian disc jockey for that feeling you get just before you sneeze. Anticipation. Hey, slang is just language with its sleeves rolled up. The actual medical term for sneezing is sternutation. Here's a suggestion from one expert for making a cell phone last longer. You can double the battery life of your cell phone by simply putting the darn thing down. Well, that's plain old rumble gumption, which is another word for common sense. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion on dementia insights with Susanna Hemingway. Susanna, how is communication affected, and what are some of the common feelings and what you would look at in someone that shows to you things are a little bit different and and how very normal all these feelings are. Can you explain what that looks like to a family member? Oh, sure. And, and, you know, what we had touched on and and talked about a bit about the role of anxiety, both Mm -hmm. on the part of the family member and the person diagnosed and depression on, on both parts. But my granny, for example, um, my mom had passed away and boy, my granny got really depressed and and I was still learning about dementia and all of that. And it really accelerated her decline. So making sure to get people treated when they're showing that and when they're depressed to get that treated because the two can kind of feed off of each other, if you will. Mm -hmm. And anxiety. So you know, all of us are, are feeling beings and we pick up on things. So whether someone's in early, middle or late stage, they absolutely are sensitive to, to the feelings that are around them. Um, so when we act more anxious, they can certainly pick that up. So a lot of emotion for everybody The we've talked about the fear, the sadness, um, frustration on both both, and when I say both, I mean the person who's diagnosed and the their loved one, whoever that is. But these are very common, normal feelings. So, and it also can 
the the historical reality of family interactions mm-hmm. plays a role here. So if there's some kind of strained, conflicted relationships, um, like there was someone in my family who they, they had a strained relationship and they would say about granny, she's doing this on purpose. Well, oh my. she wasn't. Yeah. But again, with the emotion and, and all these feelings, so really trying to be aware of it and trying to address it and sometimes even just verbalizing it. Um, yeah, sure. Lots of people feel, um, there's so, there's a lot of loss going on. That's for sure. But, you know, there's still the person that you love. Um, so there's naturally a change in the relationship. So as far as communication, trying to break things down into simpler components without being condescending, which can be challenging, um, asking yes or no questions, but giving them input because so many people are feeling this loss there's so many losses and um independence is a huge one but emphasizing the love that you share reminding yourselves about that the commonalities that you have and a lot of it conversations on values if you can break it down to that if the person wants to be independent and the family member wants them to be safe well, how can we meet in the middle? And how can I best support this person that I love while my needs are getting met and their needs are getting met, which is why you need support and resources. Uh, Suzanne, how do you see that play out? Because I do think it's important. So let's talk about loss of control and independence. And I mean, I have a mild traumatic brain injury. It doesn't really affect most of my day-to-day activities. This morning, though, I had to... Um, asked my wife to remind me the word for oatmeal as I was putting it in my smoothie, which is, it's just, it doesn't affect whether I can do anything, but it's, it's a source of frustration for me, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine for your clients and others across the country who, who have challenges like this, they are frustrated, but they also want to be independent and in control, and their family members or their caregivers are probably concerned. So how, how do you walk them through that? Like, just take a minute to share with us how you, how that plays out. Okay. Um, so, I know it's a tall order. <laughs> what, I'm sorry, I missed that last part. I said, I, I said, I know it's a tall order to do that. In yeah. minutes, but... How long do we have? Okay. You have, you have as long as you need. <laughs> uh, well, so, right, like we said, they're, they're losing independence. There's frustration. They can feel like people are taking over because, yeah. so loved ones, they want to help. They want to fix things. They, you know, you, you want them to be safe. So there can be this inclination to just kind of swoop in and take over. For example, a lot of folks will want to take over someone's finances because yeah. folks can, um, these, we talked about ADLs, the activities of daily living, but there are also the IADLs, the instrumental activities of daily living, quite a mouthful. And, and one of those things is, so that's kind of more about executive functioning and planning, making a list and taking the steps to what you need at the grocery store and getting it, um, paying your bills, balancing your checkbook. Um, so some folks may just kind of jump in because they want to help oh my goodness, you haven't been paying your bills and, and maybe something's been turned off or some folks have even been at risk or um, of, of losing their housing. So people, 
again, it's that values thing. Oh, I want you to be safe. But so it's so important to try as best you can to work together. Hey, I, I see that you're having a hard time and I'm really sorry. And it, it must be so difficult, frustrating. Maybe you're angry, yeah. um, validating feelings, making things normal. Yeah, maybe they need to cry on your shoulder. Maybe they need to yell at somebody and, and be able to vent those things. But why don't we work together? Let me help you. And I, I want to help you because I love you and I care about you. And please let me do that. And, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And yeah. sometimes something that's effective on one day may not be effective the next day. So flexibility is a huge component of the whole experience yeah certainly that makes sense i'm, I'm imagining uh, people have to be flexible always i i know we've all already talked about the alzheimer's association as a resource but for the for, but for the caregivers and the family members i'm sure there are resources for them there but are there other places that they can find out um how to stay positive in the moment how to help uh their loved one with dementia or, or things like that besides the Alzheimer's uh, Association? Of course, and I know this sounds really simple and I use it personally and I, I do it with my clients all the time. And, and that's part of the benefit. It is so simple, deep breathing, yeah. really. Diaphragmatic, get the breath down to the diaphragm, both for the caregiver and anybody diagnosed. But it, it can lower your blood pressure. It can improve your mood. It can make you calmer. It can help you get back to sleep. It, it, it's almost magical in my opinion, but just the deep breath in through the nose, maybe for four seconds, hold it as close as you can to seven seconds and then exhale very slowly as close as you can to nine seconds. Really magic. Um, so that's free and that we have to breathe anyway. So that I really <laughs> like that one. Um, Looking into services, like maybe there's some kind of in-home care that could help out, whether it's medical or non-medical. There are adult day programs. There are support groups. There are online support groups. There are also in-person groups mm -hmm. for both the person diagnosed and a caregiver. Yeah. Um, there are folks like me. There are you know, therapists. There's, of course, possible pharmaceutical interventions. Mm -hmm. um, there's also respite care. People can go to some kind of a community for a short period um, to give the family a break, um, yeah. to look at getting maybe meals delivered, look at transportation issues. I mean, it's such a, it, it's such a holistic, it can impact so many places, but also to find out if you apply for any benefits, whether it, anything for which you qualify, whether it's through the VA or any kind of you know state or federal program that could give you any kind of assistance, please look into that. You know, it, it's it's interesting to me that um, I think if if the person having the memory issues is aware, that's very helpful towards going through the various phases, as you said, the frustration, the sadness, the loss, but. It's also important for the family members because I think you can see a wide variety of reactions or responses. Mm -hmm. And so give us a, a few little tips on what you would do to make sure that everyone's on the same page so you don't raise that anxiety level and therefore increase or exacerbate the symptoms. 
Okay, so ways to to kind of keep the ways to make sure lower. that if someone is yes, if someone is in denial about it, or if one family member um, feels very strongly about the independence, and and I, there's just difference of opinion among the family members who are all doing their best to try and um, address the needs, but may just have different thoughts about it. So how to reduce the anxiety and communicate as one? Well, I mean, I. Not just because that's what what I do, but one option can be really valuable to have a third outside objective party kind of work with everybody, whether it's, you know, a formal, you know, family session or not, but some kind of safe place for everybody to sit down and voice their concerns and their points of view. Because, again, I think it goes back to values that although we may have different ways of doing it or showing it or expressing it, the majority of the time we all want the same thing, which is for that person to be safe, to have their needs met. And so absolutely family members and some folks honestly never come together. And, and some folks never are, are of a single mind, but that you can at least acknowledge everybody's point of view, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. is a microcosm of the world today and not not just here but literally the world so sure we're not always going to disagree but i think just to have that baseline of respect for another individual we may not agree on things but let me hear where you're coming from and, and try to take the emotion out of it as much as possible and break it down again a lot of the times it's down to values what what are we valuing here and where can we find a common ground is that help answer? Yes, very good. Because I think if we can bring a family together and understand, and as you said, respect the differing perspectives on things, then it does tend to calm everyone down. Information is always power, it seems. And mm -hmm. so if people do have more knowledge about what's going on, what will be next steps, um, how we can all work together without... I, I know that those sorts of things really do exacerbate symptoms because the anxiety level goes up. Uh, there's maybe a confusion over why is everyone angry? So mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about some of the things that we can do to help families go through this. And we will return after a very short break. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these messages. Man, I am bringing my whole family into this today, and I'm trying not to make it justifiable because we are seriously having the same issues, especially in the spouse's absolute denial that there's nothing wrong and getting mad at the kids. Years 
clarity, oh, color, and tarot. Uh, he also convinced on, women like said, that they were truly you know, engaged to be married with a lot of diamond rings. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka on the afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Cousinair.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction. Power. For more what information on the, the million dollar mindset, go to our website, marlatabaka.com. That's M A R L A T A B A K A.com. It's the million dollar mindset. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are continuing our discussion on dementia with Susanna Hemingway today. And, you know, Susanna, there's a term that is used quite a bit that I'd love for you to define uh, so that there is a greater understanding. And that term is called sundowning. Can you say what that means, what it looks like? Sure. Um, So that is, that refers to how... In late afternoon or early evening, folks who have some some form of dementia diagnosis can get agitated. They may start pacing. They may get angry to some degree. They may be more difficult to kind of calm and reassure and soothe and redirect and, and try to remember um, to bring up the fine art of redirection later. But and I don't think they have a 100% um, understanding of why it happens. I think it has something literally to do with the, with the sun going down. So it doesn't mean that the sun needs to be gone and out of sight, but that the fact that the sun is going down, that somehow it affects their kind of inner body clock. Mm-hmm. And so their brain starts getting these funky signals. Um, so that's what that is. Uh, it doesn't affect everybody, but it is a common thing. And I'm working with a a, a client and his family right now on that. And so some suggestions. Um, one thing is that this can happen because folks are too tired. So maybe mm-hmm. if they've had a really busy day or they're taking too many or too long of naps, um, it can be even that they're hungry or thirsty, or if they've had sleep disturbance, meaning at night, you know, they're not getting restful or long enough sleep. Also, um, something that you can try is to have more light in the house. So again, this is kind of messing with their brain. So it causes confusion and possibly fear. So when it's moving in that direction, have more lights on, uh, things like that. Hmm. that. That's interesting. I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard of that before. And I guess if you are unaware of sundowning and either you're the person with dementia or the person trying to help them in both cases, it would be very confusing. Absolutely. And, and there's so much that's, that's 
confusing. And we, we talk in this, in this field about, I'm doing air quotations that you can't see, but what we call <laughs> behaviors with people, I don't think you can, with folks that have dementia. But, you know, when I took my classes years ago at the Alzheimer's Association, I love their point that any behavior is a form of communication. So it's kind of checking in with the basics of folks. So whether it's sundowning or withdrawal or whatever it is, irritability, checking in with that person. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you cold? Um, maybe they didn't get some kind of medication that day, but just like that the basic needs are met. Yeah, and, and so I guess that's... Um... That kind of leads up to treatment because if you're talking about behavior being communication and then that will open the door as to what's what are some treatments out there but just before we go into that Suzanne I want to just um in your practice and, and maybe your practice similar to others how do you pull in together the, the person with dementia and the people who are important around them are your are your sessions always group or are they individual how, how do you do that well, I've done all of those things. So I've done group session support groups for caregivers, support groups for the, the individuals diagnosed. Um, right now, mainly I do individual therapy. Sometimes there'll be a family session if we need to talk about these things that we're talking about today. And, and the importance of planning ahead. Again, hopefully when things are calm, um, but for in a, such difficult conversations, so many of these are, I, I really understand how, how difficult they are and that some folks never have them, but how important it is to have them and especially to be planning for the future, not just estate planning, also not fun, but in talking about care. What, what is care going to look like? How long can I realistically be your caregiver and when do we need assistance like in-home care services coming in when is it too much and what would it have to look like for my loved one to leave the home and to go to a care community whether that's an assisted living or a nursing home i would imagine um as soon as these well, well just say families but it's obviously not always families but as soon as the families are able to have these conversations things must start to get a lot better Absolutely. And that doesn't certainly, um, things don't go away. I think no. so much of things in life is a process and you continue to process it, but you're right that, okay, it can kind of take each other about this topic. What's that? Just being able to talk to each other and feel like you have a plan and that you, you know, you're looking towards the future and, and dealing with what's in front of you. Yes, and it certainly helps soothe some of that initial anxiety. Sometimes when you can name a thing, you know, it loses some of its power instead of just being floating around up in the air that you can't, it's not as tactile, but you can get it out there and get it down. And okay, that alleviates some anxiety I've seen. I, I think veterans um, typically are a little more reticent to talk about issues that may be troubling them. And maybe people as a whole are, but certainly in our veteran community, we're, we're not really conditioned to to discuss openly what's bothering us. So that might be a mm -hmm. challenge uh, for some of our listeners is to start doing that. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right, Justin. But, you know, I would like to change the perspective a little bit on this. If the family is talking and if sundowning is recognized as an example, 
it helps you to plan important family gatherings can happen in the morning when oh, yeah. things are yeah. better. So that's another advantage to everyone being on the same page and acknowledging that, you know, he or she is better in the morning. Uh, and, and so we, we, we love him or her. And so this will be a time that we'll spend together so that there isn't that anxiety or withdrawal yeah. when they're not comfortable later on in the afternoon. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense to me. And that's what that's what I kind of meant when I said that once you start having these conversations and they're a little more open, things must get easier because you trust each other and, and you can just, you know, agree on how life is going to be. It can be hard to have those conversations. And, and mm -hmm. I think, you know, with our veterans, sometimes maybe a little harder, but perhaps not. It does come down. It sounds like a lot of this comes down to communication and being open to change. I would agree. Yeah. I, I think this sounds as though um, as long as people can talk about it, but I think you mentioned it before, there there are some families who, who don't eventually talk about it. In those cases, do you find that um, it the disease progresses faster or it goes its own course no matter what? But do you find on the positive side when people are communicating and everyone's a team and they're on this mission because the military always goes in missions and they're used to gathering together to get toward a common goal, wouldn't it make sense that if there's good communication and even if you have it early enough, the person involved can have a lot of say-so in what they yeah. would like to see. Is that true? Yeah. Is that what happens? Sure. And, and emphasizing again, the love, any kind of caring, right. any connection, commonalities. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked a bit about hope and some mm -hmm. of the positive things and keeping this real. Yes, there are some there's some really sad and difficult and ugly things about this. However, there's a, a lot of opportunity, too. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of problem solving, even getting people together, even if not the same viewpoint. But, hey, we can problem solve. We have an opportunity to take advantage of resources and to support each other and ourselves as much as we can. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, you know, I'm a social worker. And so ours is a profession of hope. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of different treatment options. Um, and it, one of my personal favorite things, besides breathing, because, again, I have to do that anyway, but... Also, humor. And we don't mm -hmm. all have the same humor, but being able to find the humor. So obviously, of course, not laughing at the person when something happens. But even if it's just you and a sibling in a back room going, oh, my goodness, do you, be do you believe that that happened? And just having a good chuckle together. Like, you know, I, funny. <laughs> it's true. Well, humor gets you through a lot of things, I think. I know that one aspect is really important, and, and that is the power of music. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I, again, no irony intended here. I'm trying to remember the name of this place, but um, they've shown that music with folks with dementia is so powerful. Just like our, our, our sense of smell is so powerful, our memory of music. So they, they've talked a lot about folks who live in a care community. Maybe they're in a wheelchair, withdrawn, head down, maybe not talking or interacting. If you put music on that they know, those folks can be 
they come become more alert. They can be toe tapping. Some folks have even, um, if, assuming they can stand up or, or get up, some folks have even gotten up and danced a little bit. It's it's amazing the power of, of music, and I've I've seen that. You know, I I have too. I I've, I've been in um, uh, homes where things like Christmas carols, they remember every single word to a, a Christmas mm -hmm. carol that they you know were quiet for hours before. It's really very, very powerful. I would love to give you an opportunity to talk about, I, I'm going to give the website to people. The Alzheimer's Association is one that you recommend. And then you also have enormous resources on your website, which is insightdementiasolutions.com. And are there any others that you would like to share with our audience so that they know where to get more information. And we will post those too when we post the article about the show. But any any last words that are important or concepts for our listeners to hear about this, going back to the message of hope? Mm, well, sure. And so most, most places will have a local area agency on aging, another mouthful, mm -hmm. um, but you could Google that. There is, at least here in Denver, there's a caregiver handbook that's online that mm -hmm. will touch on so many of these things we talked about today. And I have that on my website as Good. well under the, the resources. So, you know, certainly anything online if you have access. But if you don't have that, you know, make a phone call or go to the library, anything along those lines. And there's yeah. always hope and there's lots. No, there's always hope. And I was just going to close us up with, you know, we are so grateful for your insights today, no pun intended. And mm -hmm. an awful lot of this information is so valuable to our listeners. We will post the show this Good. afternoon, and we are grateful for your time this morning, Susanna. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We'll be back next week with another show for you. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance